Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, never a dull moment over at One Buck Place, and there might have been more fireworks after the game than during it on Sunday. We'll dig into all of that and Dirk Hutter's future on this edition of the Rick and Tom Podcast. Hey, everybody. Tom Jones, Rick Straub, Tampa Bay Times, along with our producer, Steve Versnick. We head into the final week of the season, a lost season, as it turns out, for the Tampa Bay Bucks, but still lots going on, Rick. And uh, it started actually last week with Sunday's game. Of course, it ended with Jameis fumble, and he was all upset and fired up and practically separated Shelton Coral's shoulder on his way to try to get back at the, the referee and realize better of it and stop himself from getting suspended. And then something funny happened, Rick. You and I went down. We were in uh, we were in Carolina, of course, for the game in Charlotte. And typically we get into the locker room about 10 minutes after the game. Well, the other day we were there a little bit longer than normal. I started thinking back, like, well, did we just get to the locker room quicker? Or did it, you know, was it, did it, did it not seem maybe, maybe it was actually shorter than I thought. But as it turned out, Rick, there was something going on. All hell was breaking loose in the Bucks <laughs> locker room. And you have a little bit more details than I do on it, but uh, there was a reason why we didn't get in the locker room right away. Yeah, you know, the NFL has a uh, what they call a 10-minute cooling-off period, and apparently it took a lot more than 10 minutes if they ever cooled off at all <laughs> by the time we got in there. But uh, in this, And a lot of this leaked over onto the Buccaneer radio network. I mean, T.J. Reeves was trying attempting – to interview Levante David, the, the radio crew goes in before we're, we're actually allowed in uh, with the print media and, and the TV cameras and whatnot. But uh, so TJ was doing his thing with Levante, and uh, all of a sudden uh, you hear Levante go, yo, yo, Jameis, Jameis, Jameis. <laughs> and, and, and so it's like, what's happening, you know? And then just a bunch of yelling and shouting, and, and it escalates as Levante tries to come back and do another interview. Then Quan Alexander gets in the mix. And he's very, very loud and swearing. And the person, the object of their ire, as they say, um, is Swaggy P. I mean, it's Chris Baker. And if you remember how that game ended, okay, before Jameis lost his mind and his helmet, right? Uh, um, he, uh, you know, was in that position in essence because, you know, the Bucks missed the 51-yard field goal and Cam Newton gets him down in there, but it gets to fourth and three at the five-yard line, and. You know, Baker comes in the game, short yardage situation, and everybody on the defensive line, including Gerald McCoy and others, were saying, watch the hard count, watch the hard count. And if you're a defensive tackle in that situation, all you're sitting, your nose is literally on top of the ball. You just have to watch the ball. And sure enough, he, he is, you know, guilty of encroachment. It's a half the distance to the goal. Now it's fourth and one, much more makeable. First yeah, not situation. even one. Yeah, fourth and inches. Yeah, fourth and inches. They think they have him stopped. They never mm-hmm. got a measurement. Nobody reviewed it. But nonetheless, handoff to Jonathan Stewart, first down. Then they score in the next play. Game over. And Well, game over after Jameis fumbles the ball. Sure, that was the winning so Jameis, drive, yeah. Yeah, Jameis comes into the, into the locker room pretty darn ticked off. I mean, he's played as good as he can play with the, you know, the very large exception of three fumbles that he lost, two on sacks. But nonetheless... And I guess there came an occasion after that, you know, Dirk must have addressed the team. And Dirk 
from what my information is, had gone around the corner to where the coaches sort of have a separate quarters for their uh, showering and dressing area. And um, then all of a sudden, um, Baker, I guess, didn't seem that remorseful about the loss or his role in it and was sort of laughing and yucking it up and smiling. And at minimum, Jameis and Quan Alexander in particular took big exception to that. And, you know, in talking to people at One Buck Place and other, you know, there's sort of been this, and look, I, I like Chris Baker as a person. I mean, he's never done anything to me. He's a nice guy, you know, um, you know, sort of happy-go-lucky off the field. Unfortunately, he's way too happy-go-lucky on the field. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, they you, you saw in Hard Knocks how they kidded about him not wanting to take more than a rep or an extra rep or, you know. Um, so sort of the narrative on him was that, you know, he's lazy, uh, doesn't really care. Um, you know, that sort of thing, but it went unchecked as far as I know for a long time, as far as, you know, the players go. And now that it's a little too late in the game, um, these guys were venting and, and, and their frustration was going right on, right on Baker fairly or unfairly. That's where they placed it. This is not me doing this. This is the, the, right. his own teammates. So this became, you know, quite a thing once, once I was able to figure out what the root of it was. And then Baker you know, after seeing the story, you know, tweeted out that, you know, I'm not going to buy into all this negativity. I know I, I, I care about winning as much more than anybody. You know, I work my butt off, all this kind of stuff. So he's he's trying to push back on on sort of the narrative. But it's a little too late when your own teammates call you out. And I know it's frustrating right after a game. And, and certainly by the time we got in there, I talked to Chris Baker right away. I mean, almost directly. Yeah. Um, after after we talked to Cutter and, you know, everyone seemed cool. There wasn't any blood boiling over at that point. And they all managed to, and, and that, that typically happens, you know, this was the reason for the cooling off period, but very, very interesting sort of, um, you know, if you take that combined with what Jameis had just experienced at the end of that game and, and Baker, you know, Baker being a big part of that, you can see why he was still, his chili was running hot when he got to the locker room. There's about four things about this, Rick, that I find completely fascinating. One is, you're right, we talked to Chris Baker right after the game, and he seemed, you know, he said the right things. I, you know, I can't jump off. He, he's the one that volunteered the information out there, too. Yes. Joe, Joe McCoy was the one that said, hey, don't anybody fall for the hard count. We asked Gerald mm-hmm. about it, and Gerald said, yes, I told him that. And Gerald almost was sort of, uh, I don't know, his reaction. Yeah, almost like, look, yeah, we told him. What do you want me to say, you know? Yeah, move was, on. He's was, dead. Yeah. yeah, he was, but he was almost just a little bit irritated with Chris Bay. A couple other things, Rick. I've always been one who uh, everybody reacts differently after a game. I, I don't have a big problem when players shake hands with other players on other teams, even after tough losses and smile. I mean, I realize it's sometimes fans, you know, get more fired up over a loss than players. It doesn't mean the players don't care openly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, fans are immediately more emotional about it. But when your own team's jumping you, and in this particular case, apparently Jameis Winston and Kawhi Alexander, that also says something. Here's the other factor of this, Rick, and we're going to get into Dirk Cutter's future in just a little bit. Does this in any way, uh, this can't be a good look when you have players fighting inside your locker room. Now, you may look at it one of two ways. You could say, well, you got dissension in a locker room that falls on the coach. These things don't happen in other cities, even though they probably do. And the other way you can look at this is, well, there are players who still care. And the other part of that is Jameis really cares, which I find is a very positive sign. I don't know how this all looks on Dirk Cutter, Rick, if it looks any way at all. Do you? Do you? 
I don't think, I mean, aside from the losing part, I don't think it, it, it really is, is necessarily Dirk's role. Like I said, this is a, you know, this is a locker room issue. If you want to, you know, if you really want to get back to it, I mean, it's not like, it's not like some of this reputation didn't precede Chris Baker to the Bucks. I mean, he made it to sure. free agency for a reason. Okay. Um, and typically when these guys, you know, other teams know about them, maybe you don't know as much about them. Um, but you know, Jason Light, and I guess with Dirk's blessing, I don't know. Uh, they wanted to get bigger inside, and they find Chris Baker, who had at least played. And, and you know, the guys that make it to free agency sort of win the lottery if you've actually done something. And that was the case with, with Chris. I mean, they signed him to a, you know, a really big contract. And I think it's, you know, somewhere around $17 million or something like that. But the first year is all that's really guaranteed, which is $6 million. But $6 million for one year is a lot for a guy that has about 38 tackles and one half a sack. And so, you know, maybe he wasn't a good fit, but we saw, like I said, we saw right off in the hard knocks, everybody kind of yucked it up with him looking for hot dogs or, you know, uh, you know, sat, or, I'm sorry, uh, Gerald Collin the fattest, you know, the fast man he right. knows. And, <laughs> and, and then, you know, the rookies, I mean, the rookies at the rookie talent show were making fun of this guy and he took it good naturedly, but, what they were saying was they were, they were, you know, it was an improv of him not wanting to take any reps today, you know, which when you think about it is sort of damning in and of itself, you know. Yeah, it's not funny it. unless it's true. <laughs> it's not right. And so there's some truth to it, and that's what made it funny. And yet they kind of tolerated this, and now, you know, it kind of blows up. But again, frustration. I think these things happen in locker rooms all the time. That's why we're not allowed in there, quite frankly, for 10 minutes and sometimes very often longer. And this one just happened to, to transpire while they were doing radio interviews, and that's how everybody found out about it. Um, but I was able to find out what, the, what the, you know, the origin of it was. But I, you know, I, I think it says a lot about Jameis, too, though. You know, like, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, just, just think about this season with him. And I was listening to a, to a uh, Jason Whitlock, who I – I don't agree with almost 90% of the time. It seems of late, I don't know how much Jason believes what he says and how much is just for show, but that aside, right. Um, he was talking about, they had a round table and Tony Gonzalez was there and some other guys and they're talking about Jameis and Jason's take was that, you know, Jameis really wants to be Cam Newton because he thinks he's better than Cam Newton and he's jealous of Cam Newton. I don't know if he's jealous, but I think he wants to beat every quarterback he faces, especially those in the division. Um, sure. But be that as it may, you know, Tony Gonzalez had sort of, here's a guy that's played a while, and, and he was sort of like, look, he goes, we had a phrase, like, I would be like, you know, like, kind of, what up, man? Like, what, what's your deal? You know, kind of, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. I just think Jameis is unhinged. Like, he goes, you know, the whole, I mean, the whole season, he goes, I, I saw the hard knocks, and I love the guy, and everybody refers to hard knocks and his passion, and they say it's real, and all this stuff. He goes, and yet, he says, you know, he does these things, whether it's in New Orleans, like pushing Lattimore uh, or eating the W's or the whole, you know, this this whole going nuts after the game. He goes, that was horrible. What what happened? You know, like you can't you can't be a quarterback and do that. And and, you know, to get that fired up like, there's, you know, and there is there's and I asked Cutter about it today, Dirk Cutter. And I said, well, you know, is this another continuation of sort of what we saw in New Orleans where his passion is? you know, gets the best of them. And I said, is it, is it a problem? He goes, well, I mean, anytime you, your emotion leads to a 15 yard penalty, 
uh, yeah, that's that's uh, getting too emotional. And uh, you know, Jameis Jameis is a fighter and he's a great competitor. And uh, he felt like he recovered the fumble all the way. You know, uh, they they uh, they went up and waved it, Carolina's ball right off the bat. Then it sure took them a all long time to unpile him. When they came out of the pile of Jameis and Julius Peppers, Jameis had the football, and you know he told me he had it had it the whole time. So, uh, but the fact that it, you know he it got a penalty on it, uh, the game was over at that point, so it, it didn't matter. But uh, obviously, you don't you don't want unsportsmanlike penalties. You cannot hurt your football team just because you think you've been wronged and you want it more than more than anybody else. I mean, he could have gotten in trouble. Like, look, if people don't hold him back. He might have gotten into that referee. And then sure. if he doesn't practically run over Shelton Quarles, he comes off the sidelines and is 10 yards onto the field when he gets the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And if he didn't something click in his mind, that thing could have gotten really ugly. So, you know, you do kind of wonder, like, is this kind of who he is? Is he going to get better? Is it, is it just immaturity? I mean, we know about Jameis's immaturity. Sure. Um, starting at Florida state, but, and we know about his fire, which can also be good or bad, but it's interesting to get other people's perspective away from here. They're kind of like, man, what's with this dude? That's yeah, I get that. And I agree. He's got a, the quarterback has to be the coolest customer you have at the same time. They win that game Sunday, Rick, then it's, then it's passion. It's fire. You know, it's, it's Tom You're Brady. Right. It's, to, it's Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels on the sidelines screaming at one another. And that sort of gets blown over very quickly. Oh, these are just two competitors. These are two guys but trying Tom to win Brady football has games. Earned you know? that. Brady yeah, that's has right. earned that, hasn't he? Sure. Uh, no, he absolutely. He, he could come into the league doing that. He he waited until, you know, he was able to win something. Right. I mean, I don't know if no, that I, matters. You are who you are. I mean, if Tom Brady wasn't – look, no one in the NFL makes it to this level unless you have a lot of fire in your belly, okay? You're either so incredibly talented that you, it's just a big accident or you really give a you know, damn about football. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't seen a football player at this level. You just can't go out there unless you care about the game. You just, you'll get killed. So, sure. you know, I, I think, you know, they're all really, really good. But, you know, certain guys are built and wired differently and express themselves differently. But Tom Brady, I, I don't, I could be wrong. I don't know that he was doing this in his early days. I mean, he, he sort of waited until, he had something to scream about, and people would listen to him. So it, <laughs> you it's might just, be right. Look, you know what I'm saying? Like right I about that. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, but I also look at guys that you know. We look at Jay Cutler and said he doesn't show enough fire, you know. Or there are right. times where Cam, there are times where Cam Newton uh, has a bad attitude after a game and say, "Oh, he's That's immature. He doesn't," you know. And and here we are, Jameis. I'm not saying Jameis doesn't have room to improve. He does, but I have mm. less of a problem with him jumping, you know, Swaggy P after a game or. Um, you no. know, jump, jump, and, and you know you got to be careful with the referee part of that stuff. But you know, overall, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't have a huge problem with uh, with the way Jameis, you know, he, the Eaton W thing. Okay, that's a bad look. That was gross, is what it was. But here's the thing: they win that game. They'll say, weird. "What a yeah. speech!" You know, that's that's it's on the highlight film. You know, well, the same. He gave the same speech without licking his fingers the year before. Everybody thought it was awesome. You know, it was about the alphabet soup. I know you ate some alphabet soup. I know you ate some alphabet. <laughs> And he got to the W's that way. Unfortunately, he's been eating some L's, and, um, right. and that's that's a different deal. But I mean, eight straight losses. I think if you're Jameis Winston and you've lost eight straight starts, 
and you're the number one overall. Remember how this all began now, number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. You know, thought he had to do it all. Um, you know, sort of, you know, sets some records, makes a Pro Bowl, goes nine and seven, all of a sudden, arrow up. And then, bam, you know, this has been quite a, quite a, he's taken quite a ding to his brand, to his reputation. But I think, I guess the question I have for you, Tom, is like, is the composition of this team the way it was? Is it, it like, what does the losing beget the frustration? Or is there a reason why they're losing because they don't have enough smart football players or they don't have enough guys who are as passionate as Quan Alexander and Jameis Winston? And I think well, he, you got to be careful he, with that because. You don't need cheerleaders in there. No, but here's the funny thing, Rick. You wrote a column for Tuesday's Tampa Bay Times where it was sort of suggesting of, of all the things to blame this season on, Jameis Winston should be a little bit lower on the list. I'm not sure I agree with that column 100%. But now you having had alone, this. By the way. <laughs> what's that? Based on my mail, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I understood where you're coming from. I, I didn't have a huge problem with it. I, I don't think he's played quite as well as, as you think he's played. Now, we don't, we'll never know how much the injuries had to play a part of it. But having this conversation right here, Rick, I'm actually uh, I'm more supportive of Jameis. And I, th- I do think it's, it's the frustration of losing that, that manifests itself in some of this behavior. Uh, again, it goes back to winning football games. You win football games. Same thing with Jay Cutler. Same thing with Cam Newton. You win football games. Nobody has a problem with any way you act off the field or how you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dress or how you behave or what you say or who you hang out with or what you talk to. You know, this whole thing, it's this silly notion that, well, the Bucks have a ping-pong table in their locker room, you know, and they're not winning football games because they're playing yeah. ping-pong. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard because if you're winning, they, it's as if they're supposed to concentrate on football 24 hours a day and can't well, have any outlet whatsoever. This has been, this is sort of, you know, it's a copycat league. And if you remember the Seattle Seahawks when they were rolling with the Legion of Boom and all that stuff, I mean, Pete Carroll brought this to the NFL. You know, Pete Carroll had the, the basketball Fridays and the ping pong tables and all this competitive stuff all week long. And when they when we started writing about them, everybody started writing about them. I was like, oh, hmm. And you know, and then you know, Chip Kelly when he won a couple of years in Philadelphia brought the music. And now, you know, during a whole practice, you have like a soundtrack. It's like being at a club, you know, where they play this music constantly. And you know, the idea is, you know, they want you to be able to to compartmentalize and focus on the job while you're hearing something that you know, might get you moving. And, and, and that's sort of the way millennials brains work right now. But so, I mean, I think, yeah, it's, if you're winning, it's great. I will say this, there's some guys who've gotten much better at ping pong this year. I mean, I've watched their games <laughs> Seriously. I've watched their games improve daily and it's pretty competitive in there, but like, there's a few guys who's just, if they can improve that much at football during the course of 16 weeks, this team has a chance. Well, I, looking at Jameis Winston in a way he behaves, like like I said, he has some growing up to do, and he's got to act a little less emotional at certain times. Teammates are looking to him. 
But that's the other thing I'll say. Speaking of teammates, Rick, Jason Whitlock can say whatever he wants, and Tony Gonzalez can say whatever he wants, and you and I can say whatever he wants. It ultimately comes down to what's Gerald McCoy think, and what does Levante David think, and what does Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans and, and Donovan Smith and everybody else who plays with this guy think. I mean, if, as long as they feel like he's going out there, he's playing hard, he's competitive, he's, he's, uh, he's a leader on this team, that really doesn't matter what the rest of us think. I still think most players on this team support him. I admire the fact that he went after Chris Baker the, the other day in the locker room. Now, you know, again, if, it's, if Chris Baker had been playing better football, maybe nobody would have a problem with his smile right. after game. If Joe McCoy had smiled after game, no one's going to say Gerald doesn't care because he's, he's earned it. Chris Baker hasn't earned it with this team anyway. And, and that's well, probably why he has had some issues. You know, and look, it, this is the part of football that's very difficult. And this is where, you know, we've talked about this this season where, you know, the sum of the parts might not add up to much because, you know, you do things in free agency where you say, and, and I don't I don't put Deshaun Jackson in, in Chris Baker's category. I think Deshaun got very frustrated very early and had some bad body language and, you know, maybe didn't run as good a routes as he needed to at times. But I think, I think he about week three or four, with the help of Munkin and others, he realized, you know, lose the attitude, control what you can control, be professional. And he actually was kind of a leader there for a while. So I don't effort, I don't think was really a big deal with Deshaun, but, but there is a part of football that's really hard. And that is, you know, identifying not just talented guys, if they happen to make it to free agency, but guys that will accept their roles. You know what I'm saying? Not you're not yeah. going to have 53 star players on a football team. And I'm telling you, in the National Football League, we were talking about Chris Godwin today. And, you know, Chris Godwin had three catches, nearly 100 yards. He had the 70 yard catch and run. You know, he gets to start finally because Deshaun is out. And he, you know, he shows up, you know, like really lights it up. Now, when they drafted Chris Godwin, the one thing that impressed them was the, his maturity, number one. He seems way beyond his 23 years or whatever. But the other thing was he told them, hey, I'm happy doing anything. If you need me to run down and play special teams, I'll play special teams. If you need me to play in the slot, I'll play in the slot. If you need me to play running back, I'll play. I don't care. I want to win. I just want to help. I'll do my role. I will, I will play any role you have for me. And that's what new England gets. That's what the winning teams get. You have to, you really in, in a business where, you know, let's face it, you're paid based on your own personal production, not the team's production. Um, it's, it's really hard to get guys to buy in. And, you know, even when John Gruden came to the bucks and they were, you know, they were devastated that Dungey got fired and everything. He had to get those players to buy in to him. And to buy into their roles and to buy into a new challenge. And, you know, the best teams are led from inside. And but if you got if you just start, you know, it's it's not we all know free agency is not is just, you know, not the absolute solution to anything. But if you don't have the right guys, like the right temperament, it can it can become a problem. And I think I think in this case maybe it has. I don't I don't really know. The other interesting aspect of uh, Tuesday, Rick, was you had a chance to talk to Dirk Cutter. And this is sort of a dicey situation because you hate to ask a guy like, hey, you worried about getting fired? But <laughs> essentially that's what you asked the guy. Are, are, are you worried about getting fired? And his reaction 
Rick was a little bit surprising. I, I wasn't expecting him to react the way he did. No, and that's the thing with Dirk. You know, typically, you know, with coaches, especially when you're talking about Black Monday coming up on January 1st and, and your seat is as hot as anyone's, you're going to get some kind of a cliche. I don't, I don't read anything. I don't pay attention. I'm too focused on beating New Orleans. It's on to New Orleans, okay. whatever. Um, but Dirk, the one thing I like about, you know, covering him as a reporter is that if you ask him a question, more often than not, you're going to get an honest answer or at least one that's not just a cliche block and bridge type answer. Now, he does do that on occasion. But, yeah, when I asked him, I asked him a two-part question. Essentially, one was, hey, man, have you talked to the Glazers about your future at all? <laughs> I mean, I, I know you're under contract for five years, but, you know, there's a lot of reason to think why you might not be all that on sound footing right here. Uh, I do not have discussions with him about that, no. And uh, what was the first part of that? How much of a distraction with all the speculation, how much has this been? And he was very honest and he said... Well, of course. I mean, you know, it's your life. You know, it's your life. It's what you do. So, you know, just flip it around. And uh, of course it is. But, you know, we all, players and coaches, uh, you know, we're paid to do a job and uh, you try to do it to the to the best of your ability. That's all you can do. It's just a rare moment of honesty, but you know, if you think of Dirk Cutter and and sort of what this week must be like, I mean, this again, this is a guy that got a job, you know, got a chance to be a head coach at fifty seven and hit it pretty well the first year, nine and seven, got the quarterback turned around in the right direction. And then he's he's watching his dream die uh, with a four and eleven, maybe soon to be four and twelve or five and eleven season. And you know, he's down to one more opportunity to make a case for himself if, in fact, it even matters. And it's crushing to, you know, now, again, I, they picked the profession. It didn't pick them. You know, he's been a coach right, his whole sure. life. This is the nature of coaching. He's been fired before. If he goes somewhere else, he'll get fired again someplace, either as a coordinator or a head coach. Um, and, and he's, you know, he's compensated very well. But it's still, you know, we, we forget about, and I started thinking about it, but you forget about the fact that he's got 24 assistant coaches. You know, you're not just firing Dirk Cutter. You know, very often you're firing 24 families, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and so there's, you know, as, as the guy that's the leader, you know, you have a big responsibility, not just to your own family and your team. But you also probably feel responsible for all these guys that you brought from all over the country to come work with you that believed in you. They don't want to go to a program where you're going to get fired in two years. And yet, that's what the Glazers do. Yeah, no, and that's what, and the thing is, you could understand that if, you know, if you're Hugh Jackson, you take over Cleveland, and you think right from the start, like, boy, this is going to be just a really difficult situation. I don't know that I can turn this thing around. Or even back when um, Shiano took over, you look at it and say, wow, this is a really, this, is, this could be a really tough job. And here's Dirk Cutter. He takes over, and as you mentioned, he goes 9-7. and seven. He must look up. This, this season must feel in many ways like, it went by in a snap. You almost, it's, you ever, you ever like, if you, Rick, you probably did this when you played ball, is you have a big game. And all of a sudden, it's 6 nothing in the second inning. You're losing. You're like, wait, can we stop and start this thing over again, please? Like, we're better than this. Like, this, the, how, did, how did we get here this quickly? This bad, this quick? And I'm sure you looked at it. No matter what you thought of the Bucks coming into the season, there were a lot of people who were very high on this team, thought they could win 10 or 11 games, thought they could win the division. There were some who were less less bullish on this team but also didn't think you know they were they were four and 12 but nobody was picking four and 12 and i don't care how you get there whether quarterbacks hurt and you know what the thing is like Jameis hasn't been hurt so much 
that you could completely dismiss Foreign Schwabes while they lost their quarterback. It wasn't like he didn't play at all. He's played a lot. So I'm sure Dirk Cutter's looking at this thing now and just saying, man, how, can I just please start this season over again? Can we just do it over? And I don't think we'll be as bad next time around. And like you said, there goes your dream down the drain. I don't know how it doesn't impact him. I'm starting to wonder how he keeps his job. I don't know that he does. And, uh, and I, there's a part of me that really feels bad for the guy because I don't think it's completely his fault. Well, you just, I mean, yeah, a lot of things you said there is true. But also, I mean, it's been a weird year. I, you know, I've, I've always told you that, you know, covering these teams, it's sort of like, you know, you have a blank slate or, you know, we don't use paper anymore, but, you know, essentially a bunch of empty computer screens. And, you know, the team kind of writes the stories for you. You know, we're, we're sort of, you know, we do our own stories and we sometimes break stuff and whatnot, but they, you, you're more or less chronicling what's happening, right? Every day, day in, day out. And I mean, if you go back to the beginning and the whole hard knocks thing, which hard knocks chose them, not the other way around. Well, let me assure you, the ownership wanted this. The ownership practically begged for it. Um, you know, they needed the exposure, wanted the exposure, thought it would help their fan base, help them outside. They thought they were ready for it. I heard that a lot. You know, oh, James is in his third year. I think we're ready for it. We wouldn't consider it last year, the year before. Now I think our team is at a point where eh, we're, we're ready. And ready to them meant, you know, ready to ready to launch, I think was the phrase. <clears throat> but, you know, then you have the hurricane. And all the weird things that sort of happened along the way and the injury to Jameis. And, I mean, it's been a very uniquely troubling season, you know, both in things they could control and didn't and things they couldn't control and, and reacted poorly to. And um, it's not been an even year. It's been, you know, I've seen teams that go four and 12 or five and 11. And you know what? That's about all they could do. And then there's this team, which never felt like it was a bad team. There wasn't one game, Tom, that I think I went out there and, and I've covered a lot of games where I said, they're going to get the living crap beat out of them. They have no shot. And that included playing teams like the Patriots, you know, all the NFC South teams. I mean, I felt every game, no matter how many they had lost in a row, that they had a legitimate shot of winning this game. And yet they went 4-12. and 12. It, I mean, it's incredible to think back on, you know, just, just how many games that they got away from them. There were more games last year, Rick, even when they were winning. And even when they had a pretty decent record, I thought they had a better chance of getting blown out some days. Like yeah. Seattle, when Seattle came here, yeah. like going up to Kansas City, and I thought, oh, they're going to get destroyed here. And, and it hasn't been. The thing is, Rick, ultimately what it comes down to is, and I think this is what's going to be the question that the Glazers ask when they decide whether or not their cutter comes back, is do you look at last year and say, okay, they were 9-7 and seven last year, had a pretty good year, everybody was healthy and 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 that was a pretty good football team, and this year 4-12, and 12, not so much. Which team is closer to what we are? And if there's this gut feeling that, boy, we can come on and go 4-12 and 12 again next year, then I think Dirk Cutter's gone. If they think, no, nope, this was an outlier year, that this was just a crazy set of circumstances, we're way better than this, we've shown it in, by being competitive the last four or five weeks, then maybe Dirk Cutter has a better better chance. I just think, Rick, at the end of the day, when you, I think it's all about record. I, I, don't, I, I don't think they care about how they got there. Um, whether who was hurt, this guy was hurt, that guy was hurt, they had the hurricane, this guy, you know, we ran into this team then. I just, I think they look and see 4 and 12, and it's just hard to get by that. I, I, that's the numbers that are going to jump out of them. The phrase that you hear or that I hear 
uh, is something just wasn't right. And even all the things I couldn't control, I still hear that at one buck place. Like there's something just, just wasn't, just wasn't right. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause no matter what you think of their defense or what you think of certain things like Jameis in particular, um, you know, if, if he's as good as he's been the last two weeks, even the last two weeks, you've scored 20 points. You know what I'm saying? So like, Right. So you're telling your quarterback can go out there. And I know the turnover. Look, uh, you can we can sit here and talk about turnovers all night. That's his thing right now. Okay. If Jameis Winston doesn't stop that, I mean that's what got Dante Culpepper out of the league. You know he was fumbling all the time and he couldn't hold on mm-hmm. the ball. But there's a thing about him losing the football, and if that's what it is, it's what it is. But there's just something that, you know, that didn't. You can't put your hand on it. You can't figure out like exactly what it was, but there was a disconnect somewhere along the line, and you know, and then then it just, you know, they couldn't win the close games. I mean, there, there's so many close games in the NFL, and they couldn't get over the hump. So if you think that Dirk, here's the thing: it's not so much you know, do you believe in a guy? Is he the coach that went nine and seven a year ago? Yes. Okay. Let's let's get him a pass rusher loaded up. Can we win? Yeah. You know what? You could have said all those things about Lovey Smith. Mm-hmm. And they fired him. I mean, really. I mean, what what part of Lovey Smith's six and ten year, the four straight losses at the end of the season, they were still competitive in a few of those games. They were six and six at one point with a rookie quarterback, a first year guy, right? Number one overall pick with all those expectations. And yet somewhere along the line, the Glazers said, eh, I don't think we're gonna win with this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and there was no other, you know, so it, it comes down to a gut feeling. And, you know, aren't you, could you be just as sure that would it surprise you if they kept their cutter and then next year they're one and four? Now what? Right, right. Well, that's the thing, Rick. I think you hit it right on the head. There's something off about it. No one can put their finger on it. If you can't put your finger on it, then you don't know who to blame for it. But you do right. know that if you don't change anything, there's a great chance that it, that it repeats happen itself. again. Right, and that's the, as you were talking right there, Rick. I envisioned this all of a sudden. They, you know, hey, they go out, they win their opener next year. I don't even know who they're playing. They win their opener right. next year, and then all of a sudden they lose their second game, and then they lose the third game, and then yeah, one and, and three, or one and three. yeah. And then oh. next thing you know, it's like, and then you sit there and go, why didn't we make a change? We're better than this, right. you know. So right. that's that's you know ultimately you wonder if if that's what gets their cutter. It's not that it's not that it's his fault. It's we don't know whose fault it is, but some, it's got to be somebody's <laughs> fault. Some, somebody <laughs> will be fired. There will be lawyers. Exactly. Yeah. Well, plenty to uh, plenty to watch and plenty to discuss here over the next few days. And uh, Rick and I will be out at One Buck Place uh, trying to figure it out. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter. The podcast Twitter handle is at Rick Tom Podcast. Rick is at NFL Strat. I'm at Tom W. Jones. Thanks again to our producer, Steve Burstick. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 